Welcome to the podcast of Faith Presbyterian Church here in Clinton, Louisiana. I'm glad you found us. My name is Tony Piles, and I'm the pastor here. I pray this recording brings you encouragement and growth in Christ, and we would love for you to join us in person anytime you are in town. Check our website, faithchurchclinton.org, for our current schedule of worship and Bible studies. And may God bring you blessing through what you're about to hear. Thank you. If you would remain standing for this sermon passage, our text this morning is Matthew 3, beginning at verse 13. Matthew 3, verses 13 through 17. Hear now God's word. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Please be seated. Lord, would you open our eyes this morning that we might behold wonderful things in your law. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If John is Elijah, Who is the one who comes after him? Who is this one who shows up at the Jordan and asks for baptism? Last week, we considered John the Baptist's ministry and the way it prepared for the coming of Christ. It also generated this anticipation, this expectation among the people as it built, as there was a wide response, as even the leaders in Jerusalem began to take an interest. This morning, we consider the conclusion of chapter 3 and the identification of this one who follows John, follows Elijah. So the first thing that we see from the chapter, which seems obvious to point out, is that Jesus is the one coming after John. This is something Matthew makes clear in the way the chapter develops. John speaks at length to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, about one coming after him, of whom John's not worthy even to carry his shoes, who will baptize with the spirit and fire, whose winnowing fork is in his hand, and then... Next paragraph, here's Jesus. Jesus is the one who follows after John. And Matthew is building on an expectation built on the book of Malachi. 
mentioned Micah and Malachi last Sunday. I should not have done that. It's Malachi chapter 4 that builds this expectation. As we have considered John the Baptist and how Matthew's description of him, even in his clothing, calls to mind for us Malachi, or sorry, Elijah. That's significant because of what Malachi told us to expect. So if you turn just a little bit to the left of Matthew, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. And Malachi tells us in Malachi 4, verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. The Jews of Jesus' day were actively looking for Elijah. One who would come and announce God's judgment, but hopefully also the coming of a Messiah. A great work of both judgment and salvation that would happen, hopefully in their time, although they were not sure. They left the Old Testament with this Expectation, And here comes one on the scene, dressed like Elijah, ministering in the wilderness like Elijah, proclaiming repentance because the kingdom is at hand. But as we know from Malachi, and as we know from the, the pattern when we first meet Elijah in the book of Kings, Elijah is the forerunner. Elijah worked great miracles in Israel, but Elijah was followed by Elisha, who had a double portion of his spirit. And as Malachi tells us to expect an Elijah who will come, that Elijah is the forerunner who signals the day of the Lord and its coming. So Jesus is the one coming after John. He is the Elisha who follows Elijah. He is the greater prophet whom Elijah prepares for. He is one greater than John. As John discussed with the Pharisees and the Sadducees, if Jesus is the one who follows him, then he is the one who is greater. If Jesus is the one who follows John, then John proclaimed repentance because the kingdom is at hand. But this is the one who baptizes not with water, but with spirit and fire. Who comes in judgment, who will separate the wheat from the chaff, who will gather the grain into his barn, and who will burn the stubble in the furnace. So what on earth is going on when he asks to be baptized? You can see John's perplexity. You can almost see his face and hear his tone of voice. Jesus comes from Galilee to the Jordan, which also gives you some sense of how wide a net John's ministry has cast. The word has come all the way to Galilee. And Jesus comes and wants to be baptized. And John knows something is up. 
And people scratch their head trying to make sense of exactly how much John knows and how much John doesn't know. But the way the chapter progresses, it seems clear that John knows that Jesus is the one he just spoke of to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. John knows that he needs the baptism that Jesus brings. So why? Why does Jesus need to be baptized by him? And we want an explanation. But Jesus' explanation doesn't explain very much. It says, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And that's good enough for John. Then he consented. There are things we know we can't say. If John's baptism is a baptism of repentance, this is not Jesus coming, confessing his sin and needing to be baptized because of that. We know very clearly from the rest of the New Testament that though Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh, note the careful language of Paul. Yet he comes as one without sin. And yet in this baptism, Jesus identifies with his people. Whom he has come to redeem. We know from Isaiah, as Isaiah describes the servant of the Lord, the suffering Messiah who will come, that though we know from other passages that he is without sin, yet we also know that he is numbered among the transgressors, which we see most clearly in the cross. But we see here that in order for Jesus to do his work, that he has come to do, he must identify with a sinful people in order to redeem them. And so he accepts John's baptism here, indeed insists upon it, in order to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus is the one coming after John. The one in whom the kingdom has drawn near. Then the heavens are opened. And after three, four hundred years of silence, God speaks. He says, this is my son. In whom my beloved son, with whom I am well Because Jesus is not just the one who comes after Elijah, who follows after John. He is also King and Christ. And this voice from heaven as the Holy Spirit descends, the voice of the Father is heard. And several passages have come together. And if we turn to them, we get a fuller picture of exactly what God is saying here. The first is drawn from Psalm 2. This is my son. In the midst of Psalm 2, which speaks of the 
chosen king, the Lord's anointed, enthroned on Zion with God's blessing in opposition to the kings of the nations. In Psalm 2, verse 7, the psalmist says, I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. And then the psalmist enjoins the rulers of the nations to seek refuge in this king, in this son. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This voice that speaks from heaven proclaims that this is that king. The king of Psalm 2 has come. And just as John preached repentance because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So God's king is revealed, identified by a voice from heaven. So that all who hear are commanded to seek refuge in him. But there's also a reference to Psalm 40, or excuse me, to Isaiah 42. If you look with me at Isaiah 42, beginning at verse 1. The Lord proclaims through the prophet Isaiah, Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. The voice from heaven says, This is my beloved son with whom I am well Please, bringing together this language from Psalm 2 of the chosen king and this passage from Isaiah describing my servant in whom my soul delights. On whom I have put my spirit as the spirit has just descended on Jesus in bodily form. Because the king who will crush the rebellious Nations like pieces of pottery is also the servant that Isaiah describes who will give himself for his people, who will suffer, who will be despised and rejected. Jesus is king and Christ. He has authority he will also suffer. As he will bring healing, as he will call the nations to himself, he will also be crucified. So that not just John, not just the nation, but at several points along the way, the disciples themselves who live and breathe and walk and eat with Jesus will wonder if they have been mistaken. And yet Matthew makes clear 
for us here at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, things that will become clear for those who are there only along the way. But there's more. Jesus is the one coming after John. He is the successor who follows this Elijah who announces the coming of a great work of the Lord. He is King and Christ, identified here as the Son of God. But that could just mean that he's a king in the line of David. David could say that. The Lord pronounced that to David. But there is more. Jesus is more than even John expects. If you look at the beginning of the chapter, which we read last week, as Matthew is about to make sense of what's happening in John's ministry, he quotes an earlier chapter of Isaiah, chapter 40, verse 3. Describing John's ministry of preparation, he says, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. And of course, his audience knows Isaiah. They know that the Lord is going to do something, that he's going to have this prophet speaking in the wilderness to prepare the way. But who's he preparing the way for? The quotation from Isaiah says that he's preparing the way of the Lord. But the flow of the chapter tells us that he's preparing the way for Jesus. Beloved, those things are not in conflict. Because Jesus is the Lord. That seems so obvious to us that it's hardly worth stopping to point out. But for John, that's something that catches him by surprise. For the disciples, that's something that takes a while to click. When the voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's not saying, look, Israel, the kingdom of David is restored to you. He's saying, look, the second person of the Trinity is here. And it's present among you. The way Matthew is subtly using Malachi also brings this out. As Malachi told us to expect an Elijah who would come and would prepare the way for the day of the Lord. So in the previous chapter. Malachi had said in chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. The Elijah 
to whom Malachi points us is not just preparing for some great event that the Lord will bring about, but is preparing for the Lord himself to appear, set all things right, to deal with the house of Levi, to deal with the defiled priesthood, to deal with the tribe of Judah, to set things right for God's people as he comes in judgment and salvation. John is the forerunner for not just an Elisha, but for God himself. So what do we do with this identification of Jesus? He follows Elijah as an Elisha yet more. He is identified for us as king and Christ, the Messiah whom we looked for, the servant whom Isaiah spoke of. And yet also, we have God the Father speaking from heaven as God the Spirit descends in the form of a dove, making clear for us the identification of God the Son incarnate, walking among the people of Israel. Matthew lays bare for us as the reader something that was a puzzle at the time for the people who were there. As they understood a piece and another piece, but like that jigsaw puzzle that's still sitting on our coffee table that we began over Christmas time, right? We have all the pieces, but we can't find the places that they go. We can't fit it all together. Consider the opposition of the leaders, which we see here, but which builds and grows over the course of Jesus' ministry. Consider the the fickle response of the crowds as they follow Jesus and then they turn back. And then he does a miracle and they get a snack, but then he says something hard and they turn and go home. Even John will second-guess himself. Was I wrong? Is this the Christ, or should we look for another? And he will send messengers to Jesus later. Will we believe the witness of Scripture? Will we respond to Jesus as Matthew identifies him for us? The Jesus that John prepares for, that Matthew writes of, doesn't command our attention because he sets before us an inspiring example. He doesn't deserve our hearing because he's a particularly enlightened philosopher or a wise, ethical teacher. No. Rather, as John preached, as Jesus later preaching itself will echo, we are here commanded to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why the virgin birth? Why the visit of the Gentiles? Why the determined opposition of Herod? 
The king of the universe has appeared in the flesh. And he commands not our interest, but our obedience. Not our affiliation, but our allegiance. Not our time, but our very life. Because he is the one who follows Elijah. He is king and Christ. He is God himself. Come to save his people and conquer his enemies. May we be found in him. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for how we see it presented to us very early in Matthew's telling of the story of Jesus. That this curious one is not just a fad. Not just an object of curiosity. Not just something that stirred up the politics of Palestine 2,000 years ago. But is our God and King come to do what we could not, that he might redeem a people for himself. So Lord, we pray. We pray that we might turn and bow the knee to Christ, that we might kiss the Son, find refuge in him. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the podcast of Faith Presbyterian Church here in Clinton, Louisiana. Check our website, faithchurchclinton.org, for more teaching and for our current schedule of events if you'd like to drop in. We pray this recording has been a blessing to you. Go in peace.